Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. That is the message of James. Faith works. And that's what we're talking about in this series. And I want you to find in your Bibles or on your device the book of James. We're going to be in there again today. What we've already seen is incredible. James has laid the foundation for each of us to live a successful Christian life. And he begins by saying this, I am a bondservant. I am a slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't get that right, we might as well burn the whole book. So it begins when we surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when we become a slave to him, not just he's incredible and I like knowing about him, but it changes us from the inside out. The second thing is he goes on, he says, now if you're going to be in this journey with Jesus, I want you to know something, you're going to have trouble in your life. You're going to have trials, experiences, suffering, things that are difficult in your life. But God will not let any of them go by that he won't use them to form you into who he wants you to be. He uses those rough moments in life, the trials and the troubles and the suffering. And, 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 and the things that we don't like, he uses those to complete us and make us whole. And now he's going to say this. He's going to say, now, uh, if you get those first two components right, if you're a slave to, to God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and you begin to battle well in the, in the trials and troubles in your life, I want you to know what's going to happen. The enemy just became your personal enemy. Before he was the enemy at large, and now if you're a slave to Jesus, he's your personal enemy. And he will attack you. And he's going to bring everything from his arsenal of hell into your life to ruin, distort, and disturb your relationship with God through Jesus, his son. So he just wants, you, wants uh, to be honest with you, candid, let you know that what you might see on TV, that when you give your life to Jesus, you're going to be rich and famous and healthy and your middle schooler is going to be perfect. That's a lie ain't going to be true. And James is going to tell you, life's going to be hard if you're enslaved to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we titled this two-week message, Bait and Switch. And Bait and Switch, if you weren't here last week, is an illegal practice, a marketing practice. When a product is offered to entice interest, but upon further investigation, the information was intentionally misleading. That's Bait and Switch. Satan himself is the master and the originator of Bait and Switch. What he does is he provides this alluring, enticing, beautiful, uh, counterfeit image of what God has already done. You see, God is creator and Satan is imitator. Satan can't create anything because he's not creator. He is a created being and he is only a counterfeiter and an imitator. And so James is going to help us understand uh, how we can acknowledge and be aware of those things that are not real in our life. And he's going to tell us where they come from. He's going to tell us how we can find victory over them. So if you agree with me that it would be good to know how to fight the enemy well and come out victorious on the other side, say, amen, I would. If you didn't say it, we need to pray for you because that should be your goal if you are, in fact, enslaved to Jesus. Temptation is really not that complicated. The enemy of holiness and purity provides lures and enticements that appeal to our own natural desires. That's where it comes from. We talked about it last week. Say this with me. It's my fault. God's been waiting for us to say that sometimes. God, it's my fault. And so the first thing we saw last week on the back of your worship guide is that the primary source of temptation, what is that? I'm going to read 13 and 14. It says, let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So... There's no more blame game when we understand what James is telling us about our relationship with God. We cannot blame God any longer. He cannot tempt you because he cannot be tempted because he's perfect and there's nothing that draws him away from his completeness and his perfection. The second thing is we can't blame our environment. We looked at Adam and Eve in the garden of perfection, which became the garden of failure because environment doesn't determine who we are. It affects our decisions. It affects who we are, but it does not determine our decisions and it does not determine who we are. Uh, we learned last week that there's two primary methods to defeat the temptations of the enemy. The first is the sword of the spirit, part of the full armor of God, which is the word of God. 
God. The second thing is to have a treximo run. If, you can't, if you're not capable of fighting well with the sword of the Spirit, if you're not competent in the Word of God yet, be prepared to have your fast shoes on and run. It's okay. We looked at fleeing scriptures in the Bible. And so we need to know what to do. You see, what Satan does is he lures us and entices us based on our own internal desires. And our own internal desires are God-given desires. It's the glorious design that God has placed in us. We're cold, we desire warmth. We're hungry, we desire food. Uh, we're lonely, we desire companionship. And the, law, the list goes on and on and on. You and I all have natural God-given desires in our being and we long to feel them. So what the enemy does is he comes along and he looks at our proclivities, the things that we're most interested in, the things that may be a little bit out of line with God's word. And he begins to design a lure and a bait that attaches itself to your natural desire in an unnatural way. And he begins to draw us away. It's why when we, as, as grown-ups, as adults, we look around and we say, how can a, a grown person with a bright mind end up in prison? Because they were lured away from an internal desire. How can a grown adult man or woman choose something and walk away from their family and their children because the enemy cast a lure and, uh, that was designed to pull them away. Something that looked greater and, and, and a greater satisfaction to a natural internal design. It's, it's, it, when we look around and see the evils that people choose, it's because the enemy is good at what he does. Let me be very, very clear. I promise you something. The devil is better at what he does than you've ever been at what you do. He's been practicing his craft for 6,000 years on people just like me and you. I want you to know that. But I want you to know the problem is he is a spiritual being. And you are a flesh being with a spirit in you. And what we want to do is fight, is fight a spiritual battle in the flesh. Let me just go ahead and tell you. 100% of the time, your flesh battle against a spiritual enemy, you come up in the lose column. Okay? You cannot fight the spirit in the flesh. And so James is saying you've got to understand the spirit before you can ever fight him well. And once you understand him, James is going to tell us, and when you get that, you can be victorious. And I'm glad to know that. But I hate the devil. I just hate him. He just caused me all kinds of grief. We look around this broken world. We look at our, the news. We look at what's going on in Ukraine. It's all of the devil. Do you understand that? Every bad thing that's ever happened on this planet, every bad thing that's ever happened in your life, every sickness, every sorrow, every trouble, it's all a direct result of the devil. God is always good. And when we see bad things in this life, it's never an indictment that God is not good. It's a reality that the, that the devil is real and this world is broken and fallen. And Jesus steps into the middle of it to redeem it and make it good. And that's why we should chase Jesus in every breath of our life. Amen? Now, we're going to learn today how we can fight well. And so what James did, he says, listen, I, I want you to understand that, 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 that sin, it, once you understand it, it's, it's real simple. He looks at the life cycle of humanity. There's conception, there's birth, there's growth, and there's death. And he says, that's what temptation does. It's conceived and it gives birth and then it grows and, and begins to mature. And ultimately, the end result of it will be death. Now, there's testimonies if we ask, if people were bold enough and honest enough and transparent enough, if I said, who in here understands, who would agree with me that in your life you've seen the temptation, the snare, and you've bitten the bait, and it was conceived, and you allowed it to go on, and it gave birth to sin in your life, and to this point, it's now maturing, and what you, what you used to choose has now chosen you, and you feel exposed that the end result in your life will cause death. There's people that would agree with that because you walk in it every day, and many of us have. Scripture, there's a beautiful scripture that says all of us at one point were like that. All of us were ensnared and enslaved to some level of sin and temptation in our life. 
So in understanding temptation, and we read the words in James chapter 1, and he says, you are tempted by uh, being enticed and lured by your own personal internal desires. And so I got to thinking, you know, Jesus came to make us all fishers of men, and it never dawned on me. The reason why is because there's another fisher of men, and his name is Satan. Satan is a fisher of men who lures and entices us away. Jesus comes along and says, I want you to fish them back out. I want you to take them back out of that sea and put them in my sea. And so I talked to a professional fisherman and I said, hey, when it comes to baits and lures and fishing, how do you know what to use? And he said, well, what you do is you you evaluate and you watch the fish you're trying to catch. And you begin to understand some of their habits, some of their proclivities, some of the things that they like, some of the nature of who they are. You look at their feeding habits. You look at the prey that they're interested in. You consider the, 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 the atmosphere. Is the water murky? Is it clear? Is the, is, how is the atmosphere outside? Is it sunny or is it cloudy? And you put all that into the system and you boil it down and you come up, you pick and you choose the one thing that might attract them away from their own natural desire to eat, to choose your particular lure or bait so that you can catch them. Now, to catch a fish, it's easier than catching a man. Because to catch a man, we're lured away by everything under the sun. A fish is lured away by basically one thing, something to eat. And so fishing for fish is much easier, excuse me, yeah, much easier than fishing for men. You just have one target, and that is to find out that natural desire, their appetite, the one thing that they like to eat. Now, when it comes to the lure, let me tell you something. There's never a red label hanging from a lure that says, uh, warning, this is not the real deal. Warning, this is not a meal. Warning, this will make you a meal. It doesn't say that. It it, it looks good. But behind all of the flash and the flutter and the good-looking stuff, there's some hooks that are designed to grab onto that fish so that they can never get away. He appeals to the natural desire. Now, I invited a professional fisherman to join me up here. Ben, I don't know where you're sitting. If you'll make, oh, right here in the front. And so he didn't know this when I asked him last night if he would do this. But I said, if you're going to play the part, let's play the part well. So I want you to, this, he's going to play the part of a demon, okay? He's playing a part. Let me just go ahead and clear this for the television. This is Ben. He's a friend of mine. He loves Jesus, and I love him. He loves me. Okay, let me clear that up. He's not really a demon. But in this particular day, welcome welcome to the church there, demon. And so it looks like this. What the demon does is under the leadership of Satan himself, he's got a goal, a job, and that is to, to ensnare and to catch men and women, to entangle humanity and to pull them away from God and to lead them ultimately to death. Now, the first one that we have is blue on the top and pink on the bottom and white in the middle. And I'm going to call this the enticement, the lure of passion. Now, the reason I chose this one, blue on the top and pink on the bottom, is it's clear guidelines and color. This this particular lure attracts both men and women equally because every person is born with a degree of passion within them. And one of those is sexual desire. It's very natural. It's used by God in his word as a a way for two human beings to come together and become one in marriage. And also it's used for procreation and uh, giving birth and reproduction. Now the enemy comes along and he takes that natural desire and he provides experiences and encounters in our life so that we begin to get a little bit skewed in our idea of passion and he wants to amp it up so that it becomes this insatiable appetite that was originally God-given, natural, and beautiful. So what the enemy does is he develops a synthetic or an artificial reality and he does this often maybe through pornography. He does it through a casual sexual expression outside of marriage that pushes back against God's design for true sexual experience. And then a person now is enticed and he's lured away from a natural passion to unhealthy habits or an addictive, harmful, insatiable pursuit of satisfaction through what is known as hedonism or personal pleasure and self-indulgence. Did you catch any? There's nobody here interested in passion. You can put that down. We're in church for crying out loud. 
Now, what he does is he casts these lures in our life. He watches our response. And if there's nothing hitting, just like a professional fisherman, you change the bait, you change the lure because you're looking for that thing that's going to ensnare the, the, uh, the, the prey. The second one I'm going to call blurred lines. Blurred lines, this lure is teal and orange and gold. The reason I selected this one because these colors are less defined as blue and pink. These colors are conforming to outside influences changing the nature and the hue of their color. This lure represents gender confusion, sexual identity, immorality, and all unbiblical concepts of sexual expression. Each person, you see, has a natural desire for companionship. Nobody wants to be alone. They want to be accepted and they want to be loved. The enemy casts this lure and he says, listen, I know about your need for companionship. You don't want to be alone. And so it doesn't seem that it's being met in in your case at this moment. So I have an alternative that will satisfy you and fill that void. And I want you to know it's okay and you're okay. And so if a person doesn't have a solid foundation of understanding mankind and genders and who we are in Christ, all of a sudden we begin to listen to this outside ungodly uh, lying voice and we are deceived from the outside source. And deception comes quickly, convincingly, and easily. Get any takers? No, there's nobody here ever struggles with that. Your, your lure is no good here. Put that over there. Now, what the enemy does is he continues. He doesn't stop there. Because let me tell you about the enemy. The enemy's goal is not to get you to sin. The enemy's goal is never to get you to sin. Scripture says, John 10, 10, the enemy comes to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. He could care less if you sin. Now, sin is how he gets there. But his goal is to kill you, steal from you, and to destroy you. And he's not going to quit just because you walked away from two lures in your life. He's coming on with another enticement. The third one I'll call living the dream. It's green with a pink nose because green represents life. And life has dealt you some hard days. You maybe have experienced loss of a loved one, maybe physical pain or loneliness or social unacceptance or maybe suffering in the world just bothers you immensely or maybe there's worry and anxiety and stress in your life. Meanwhile, you have a natural desire to experience the same to, enjoy, to experience life and to enjoy it and to be relational, to have friends and to enjoy time together with others, to fit in and certainly not to feel left out. So the enemy comes along and he notices your unmet needs and he provides a way to shortcut the process and to offer immediate relief or assistance. This lure may come in the form of a bottle or a can. This may come in the form of a pill or a smoke. The enemy emphasizes satisfaction to a legitimate desire, but never suggests the risk of artificial accomplishment through alcohol or drug use. He glamorizes the synthetic satisfaction of a natural desire and downplays the end result. Any takers on that one? No, I wouldn't think so. You can lay that one down. He moves on then to the next one. The next one I'll call possessions. You'll notice it because it's ruby red and glittered gold. This is, this is the one that dangles in front of the people who believe the lie that the one who dies with the most toys wins. A person has a natural, God-given desire and a command to provide for his own family. In fact, Scripture in Deuteronomy says God gives man the ability to produce wealth. So what the enemy does is he comes along to our natural desire, and all of a sudden he sees us enjoying providing. He sees us enjoying accumulating. He sees us enjoying being successful in material and wealth uh, uh, adventures. And so he begins to provide something else. He realizes now this individual is finding their identity not in Christ Jesus, but in material possessions. These lures 
uh, come into somebody's life to help them understand that if I just, or believe that if I just had more, I would be okay. And it's always a lie. The wealthiest people in the world have been asked how much money is enough, and they all agree. They'll tell you when they get there. Because it, the, what the enemy does is he brings in this insatiable appetite for material possessions and it's a never, they find it's a never-ending cycle of discontentment and perpetual disappointment. Any takers for material possessions? I didn't think so. We don't have those here. All of these people give in excess of 10% of all of their income. I hate to, that's Elijah's from the devil too. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Now we have another one here, has no name. This lure has no name because you get to name it. You may have sat there in all of those lures and said, you know what? I am not tempted by any of that. I'm not tempted by passion. I'm not, uh, I'm not tempted by confusion or distortion. I'm not, I'm not tempted by uh, material possessions. I'm not tempted. But you know what you're tempted by. And you get to name this lure. And this lure is coming at you this week. The question is, what will we do with these lures? I'm sorry, but you're in the wrong. This is the house of God. There's no temptation here. Take your stuff and get on out of here. Right? And, 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 now... Now watch this. That's how we're supposed to live our life. When we are enslaved to Jesus Christ and God the Father and the enemy comes, there's no carrot he can dangle before us that looks better than the Lord Jesus Christ and his rescue from our sinful condition. When we get that, we're on the journey headed in the right direction. And so he casts these lures. So the primary source of temptation comes from within you, your natural desires. The enemy attracts your natural desires in an unholy way. Number two, the progressive course of temptation. James is going to say it doesn't start, doesn't stop with just this desire you have in your life. Temptation is progressive, and it's on a course to death. It says in verse 15 of James chapter 1, Then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. And so we see the analogy, conception, birth, maturity, and death. Now, Scripture throughout the Bible, warns of the progressive course of temptation. Examples, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but in the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 23, 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth the color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last, at the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Proverbs 5, the lips of a strange woman drop as honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than oil. Her name's Old Honey Lips. It says, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps take hold on hell. Scripture tells us we cannot play around with temptation because temptation has an objective and it is death. And it comes from hell itself. And it never comes from God. And so a person sometimes looks like they have it all together. Meanwhile, in the back of their mind, they have begun to consider the idea of their sinful nature. It begins subtly and simply, and then it's progressive. And the next thing we know, we hear people make these comments. Well, I'm just supposed to be angry and to be a fighter, it's just part of who I am and how I was raised. Well, I'm supposed to be an alcoholic or a drug addict because my parents were alcoholics and drug addicts, and that makes me one too. Well, I'm just supposed to be a thief or a liar because it's, the, it's just the nature of who I am. I'm just supposed to be a freeloader or a deadbeat because I never had a father to teach me how to work. Well, I'm just supposed to give myself sexually to whoever because it's who I am. Well, I'm just supposed to be a homosexual because it's the way I was born. I'm just supposed to have credit card debt up to my eyes because I'm supposed to enjoy everything this, that this life has to offer. I'm supposed to be addicted to pornography because it's it's a natural desire and I'm not hurting anybody and it's the progressive uh, course of temptation and listen to me all of those statements right there make this statement to the world and to God I guess I am just born this way I want to tell you something when we acknowledge the fact that we're born that way we're headed in the right direction 
Now I'm going to drop a bomb on, on you. A homosexual was born that way. A liar and a thief was born that way. A freeloader is born that way. A murderer is born that way. All sinners are born that way. You know how I know that? Because you were born that way. I am born that way. You see, when we realize we are all born a way, we are born a way from God in our direction, in our proclivity, in our passion, in our desire. We are born under the sin curse of Adam and Eve in the garden of failure in Genesis chapter 3. You and I are all born that way. Now here's the thing about it. Once we acknowledge that, the reason why we're headed in the direction, the right direction, is because once we own that, then we get to choose, okay, I'm born that way, now what? What am I going to do with the way I'm born? You ready? You can't do anything about the way you're born. You can't fix you. You can't make your brokenness whole. You can't make your sin forgiven. But there's one who can. You see, that's why Jesus came. Jesus stepped into the mess, in the mire, in the murk, in the junk, in the garbage, in the sin, in the way we were born. He stepped into the middle of it, spread his arms out and died on a cross and said, I'll shed my blood in your case for your sin debt and I will make you whole if you'll place yourself under my forever eternal gift of grace. You see, that's where it gets good. That's where it gets good. But see, the world doesn't know that. You know why? Because we ain't telling them. Because some of us have enjoyed, embraced the grace, and it's good for me, but I'm not going to tell anybody else about it. Shame on us. The world out there and some in here is dying to know that there is grace sufficient for their sin. That there is a Jesus who died to rescue them from the way they were born. You see, we're born that way in Mark chapter 7. Listen, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these things come within and they defile the man." Do you agree with scripture now that that's the way we were born? We're all born that way? I hope you do because it's true. It's absolutely true. You can, you can run, but you can't hide. It's the truth. It's part of our DNA from early on. You see, if you don't understand, because some fools in the world would say, I just don't believe there is an evil. Are you an idiot? You are just plumb stupid, okay? That's, it's just the truth. You don't have to look far to see it. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you, you, you can look really close. I, I'll tell you this much. Those people who would say there's no evil, they've never had children. You, you have children. You learn real quick. A one-year-old does not have to be taught to cry being strapped into a car seat. A two-year-old does not have to be taught to throw a potato across the kitchen. A three-year-old does not have to be taught to fight for every toy in the playroom. A 10-year-old does not have to be taught to lie about his homework. A middle schooler does not have to be taught how to be the demon in the household. A 16-year-old does not have to be taught to drive faster than the speed limit. A 25-year-old does not have to be taught to cheat on their taxes. A 40-year-old does not have to be taught to cheat on their spouse. On and on and on. They don't have to be taught because they were born in their DNA with all of that information already programmed because they're under the curse, okay? Now, the question is, Will we choose to stay that way? Or will we grow up? You see, the way we are born is not the way we have to stay. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad the way I was born is not the way I am today. And I am glad that the way I was born is not the way 
I had to stay. Because had I stayed the way I would, was born, I would not be here. I would probably be a recipient of grace and love from the ministry that Clark talked about. I would probably be in the clink or dead. And when this body dies, I would spend forever in a place called hell because I was born away from God. Away, a sinful way, full of rebellion against a holy God. But we're, we don't have to stay this way. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Oh, but when I became an adult, I set aside childish ways. You see, when, we, when Christ comes into our lives and sets us free from our sinful way, the way we were born, he begins us in a spiritual journey from an infant to an adult. And the enemy's job is to tell us we have to stay the way we're born because it's just the way we're born. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us what Jesus does while the enemy, just like our friend earlier, was casting lures, casting lures and casting lures. We can look at those, be enticed by those. We can bite those and be ensnared by those leading to death. Or we can consider another alternative, another option extended to us from Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So then if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature what is old has passed away and look what is new has come this is the beauty of christianity this is the beauty of real salvation this is this is the beauty of being born again from the inside out it is that he doesn't take our brokenness and put a fresh coat of paint on it he doesn't take our mess and just kind of knock off the rough edges so we're presentable to the world he takes us and rips out all the old and gives us a brand new creature makes us brand new from the inside out so that when we stand before God, we are pure and holy and righteous, not alone, but because Jesus stands in front of us and the Father sees us through what he did on a cross. We don't have to stay that way. We are new creatures. The problem is sometimes some of us are new creatures, but we're acting like the old creature. Sometimes we've been introduced to a new way. We still walk in in the way we were. It's time for you and for me to own our faith in Jesus Christ, to be enslaved to him, and to live in full surrender to him because he surrendered his life for us upon a cross. And if we don't choose that, what can we expect? If we bite the lure, what can we expect? Death to our relationship with God. Death to our true identity found in Lord, the Lord Jesus. Death to a proper relationship with others in our life. And death to an opportunity to experience everything that God has for us. When an illegitimate idea is presented before an illegitimate heart, conception of the unholy happens. Sin is the child of an unholy union. There's no bad or illegitimate babies in this world, although that's what we call them. There are illegitimate men and illegitimate women who come together in an illegitimate sin creating a beautiful baby the illegitimacy is found in those who come together listen we said it before we said it last week temptation is not a sin and you're not bad if you're tempted it's our response to the temptation that makes it a sin it's our response to the temptation that begins to conceive and begins to develop in our lives he says that when it becomes full grown the greek word is apotelo apoteleo it is to complete itself and to be perfected to arrive at its full stature i said it before the enemy could care less if you sin the enemy is only interested in you dying the enemy could care less if you sin he's only interested in stealing everything you ever hoped to be it's who he is he doesn't play around and james gets this now it is the compound nature of sin and, and we learn this. We, there's all kinds of examples in the Bible. All kinds. We can look at, just read the Bible. They're everywhere. 
It's full of messed up people, even people who were God chasers. One of the greatest, but it could be any of them, David, King David, right? What an incredible story, man. A man after God's own heart. A little boy keeping sheep, practicing his craft with a sling. And one day God says, I want you to go and feed your brothers cheese and bread. He's a cheese boy, man. I mean, he's just a kid. He shows up, and what does he do? He takes down Goliath, the enemy of Israel, the enemy of God's people. And he becomes this superstar warrior hero. And then he becomes this amazing king. He's faithful to a terrible king. And he tries to soothe his aching heart and mind with his harp playing. But then there's a day in this good man's life when he, the Bible says, when all the kings were out at battle, <laughs> King David was not where he was supposed to be. He became lethargic. He became complacent. So rather than going to war where the kings were to be, the Bible says that he stayed home and he went out on the porch on the roof of his home. And he goes out there and he surveys the land and he sees this beautiful lady taking a bath. That's a temptation. It's not a sin. But it didn't stop there. He didn't tap the brakes. The Bible says that he invited her in. And then he slept with her. She became pregnant. Then he tried to cover his tracks and he murdered her husband, Uriah, by sending him to the front lines to be killed. You see, that's what it looks like. He saw that was desire. He sent for her. That was, he was dedicated to it. He slept with her. He did what he knew was wrong and he slaughtered her husband. Death came into the picture. I'm telling you, what James is saying about temptation and sin, it is true. It's true in my life. It's true in your life. It's been true forever, and it will always be true. You and I have to learn to be aware of the allurement, the enticement of the enemy, and we have to learn how to respond. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says, We tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obey to Christ. Listen, we're all tempted You've got temptations. I don't know what yours is. Your temptation may not be my temptation. And what tempts me may never tempt you. But you've got them. We've got to learn to take every thought captive. When that thing comes into our mind, when that thing comes before our eyes, when that thing enters our ear canal, we've got to learn to take every thought captive to Christ. We've got to run it through the filter. Is this a holy thought? Is this a right thought? Is this what God wants for me? If not, I'm taking it captive. I'm casting it out of my mind. You know how that goes. You've had those thoughts where one thought leads to another, another to another. Maybe you're driving down the road. Maybe you're sitting at home. And then you ask yourself inside your brain, what am I thinking? Anybody ever thought about murdering somebody? bunch of liars y'all laughed everybody that laughed that means they did I don't want to murder anybody but sometimes I, I think about it I, I, I don't know what that is am I the only one okay if I am I confess now you know me beware and I sit there thinking why, why am I thinking this you know I'll blame it on bad dreams or something. I don't know we all have them. We've got to take our thoughts captive. Job 31, Job said this, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I entertain thoughts against a virgin? You know, isn't that good? Those of you that struggle with pornography, let me just tell you, struggle with watching movies you shouldn't watch because there's, there's illicit scenes in there. Listen, Job got it right. I'll make a covenant with my eyes before God. God everything that comes into my eyes, it goes before God's big screen. And so I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to take that stuff out. I'm not going to have it in my life. We've got to stay ahead of the temptation. It has been said this. You sow a thought and you reap an action. You sow an action and you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap your destiny. That's what James is saying. Every moment matters. Every thought, every uh, view, every message, they all matter. Several years ago, our family was on vacation. We might have been in Hawaii, and we went on a snorkel trip. Hawaii? Okay. We were on a snorkel trip, and uh, 
the guys that owned the boat, they had this big old lure, about that big. It was beautiful. It looked like a rainbow. Had hair hanging off of it and feathers. <laughs> it looked like a hat. All right? They threw that thing out there and, and flipped it. And it went, we're going across the ocean. It's a dragon. He clicked it. And they went on about their business. And I had two beautiful little girls, Caitlin and Kelsey, beautiful wife, Kendra. We were on the boat. And that thing hit. Bam. It started dragging that line out. I said, hey, you got a fish. And he said, put the harness on and start reeling. Yeah. So I put the harness on. I put that reel in there. And I mean, I started reeling. They must have had 40 miles of line on that thing. My arms started getting stiff, you know. And he said, spin it upside down. Use the other arm. Yeah, that's what I was going to do. I'm reeling. And, and, and I, I wrestled this thing. And my little girls, Kendra, Kendra did too, but she wouldn't own up to it. They thought I was the stud, the coolest guy in the world in this moment, okay? And, and, and I did that for like 15 or 20 minutes. And out of the water came this mahi-mahi tuna, teal and blue and yellow and green, man. I'm like, yeah, both arms. Okay, whatever it takes. We get that thing to the boat, and they spear it, and they bring it in the boat. And a guy pulls out a, a towel, lays a towel over it, took a Louisville Slugger baseball bat, bam, and whacked that fish. And I'm like, well, this is kind of brutal. First part was pretty cool there, girls. Sorry for this. And it's still wallering around. And this woman says, you better hit it again. It's not dead. This is what he said. He said, oh, no. We only hit them once because they, need, they deserve a natural death. <laughs> okay, natural went out when we threw that hat out there with the feathers on it. Natural went out the first time that fish met Louisville Slugger. Okay? That's what temptation is. That's what it looks like. You bite it. It pulls you in and pulls you in, and the devil has one goal, and that is to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. He does not play, and he will not lose. So we have to be aware of every tactic of the enemy. Here's the good part. What do we do then? Because it sounds a little bit like we're defeated, and we are if we don't know how to fight well. Point number three is the powerful force against temptation. I want every person in here to know. I want the students to know this. I want the senior adults to know this. I want all of us crazy people in between. You don't have to lose. You lose because you choose to lose. Victory is extended to, to us through Jesus, the Son of God. Listen to what James says. He says, now I just told you temptation does not come from God because he can't be tempted. And I've told you what temptation looks like and where it comes from. He says, now I want you to listen to me. Verse 16, do not be led astray, my dear brothers and sisters. All generous giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. He says, all that bad stuff, it does not come from him. But the good stuff, every bit of it, every last ounce of it, every drop of everything good comes from the Father of lights. You know what he's saying? If you wonder how good God is and how persistent God is and how unwavering God is, go out in the night sky and look at the moon and the stars. Go out in the day sky and look at the sun the best you can. It's blazing with glory, the glory of God every moment of every day because he's consistent and everything good just pours forth from him. You know what he's saying? Your natural desires in your life, God placed them in, in you. It makes you you. It's, it's part of your image-bearing nature of God. He says, but when you need to feel those needs, don't go to the world. Don't buy the ensnaring lures of the enemy. Go to the Father of lights, the one. Stand before the fountain of goodness and let him fill your every need. And you will not come up lacking. That's who God is. Now, he goes on, the second part of verse 17, and he says, with whom there is no variation or the slightest hint of change. He says, don't buy the lies. The lures of this life are lies. Don't buy them. What was true in Genesis 
will be true in Revelation. He's unwavering, unmoving, and unchanging. It's called the immutable nature of God. It says this, God was good. God is good. God will be good because God is good. And he never changes from that. And he, you, it's not a moving target. He's always there for you. He's always there to be found. He's always there to lead you. He's always there to satisfy you. He's always there to give you everything you need. Politicians, they change their opinions based on votes. Amen. Preachers dilute the truth to attract crowds. Amen. People morph and move and marginalize the boundaries of truth to placate and pacify the world. Amen. Meanwhile, God never wavers. Meanwhile, there's not one ounce of this infallible, inerrant, eternal word that moves or wavers or shakes, has ever been shaken, never been threatened, never been proven wrong. It is the truth of God because God is true. And James says you can live your life and plan your eternal destiny based on this book, on the truth of this word. It's your sword to fight. It's your trophy to, uh, to, to champion in every day of your life. It is your access to God for all of eternity. And we need to learn to live by it. There is no variableness or shadow of turning. And then he finishes in verse 18. By his sovereign plan. Listen, I need you to dial in, lean in. How can we live in truth? How can we walk in truth? How can we choose truth? Are you ready? By his sovereign plan, he gave us birth through the message of the truth. That we would be a kind of first fruits of all he created. How can we walk under the power of force against temptation? Because the God of everything, the whisperer of existence, has a plan. Are you ready? And he wants to write you in it. He's done everything. There's nothing required of you to get right with God. There's nothing required of you to satisfy him. Except receive Jesus into your life. And all of a sudden, you realize, I'm free. I don't have to chase those lures anymore. I don't have to pursue those fake dreams anymore, those artificial enticements. I don't have to do that anymore because I'm under one that's so much greater. I'm under the one who created everything. And just like God can't be tempted because he's God, we shouldn't fall to temptation because we are children of God. Church, I want to tell you it's time that we grew a spiritual spine and we push back against the temptations of the enemy. What does that look like? <laughs> okay. I was in the yard a week ago, just walking across the yard, and I hear this dog barking. Big dog. I mean, going nuts. Well, he wasn't a big dog, but he was a, a little dog with a big dog complex, a little dog complex. It was a chihuahua, a chihuahua. And I looked around, man, he's showing all of his teeth. And he's like growling like he's going to bite my face off. Now, I got, I'm, I'm 59. I got a bad knee. I cannot outrun a chihuahua. They fast. And I probably can't fight one all by myself, but I just stared at that dog in the name of Jesus. I said, this, this ain't going to end well. I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but I was going to let that dog know that I was not going down without a fight. So I reached in my pocket and I opened up my bone getter, this big knife right here. I wanted that dog to know, I held that knife up. I wanted that dog to know he brought a mouthful of little teeth and a bark to a knife fight. He had a collar on. Somebody's dog was going home with some puncture wounds. I was probably going to get bit, okay? I was okay with that, but I wasn't going to lose. I was there for a fight. And you know what we do sometimes? You say, what's well, a funny story? What's that got to do with this sermon? The enemy, in God's eyes, he's a whole lot less than a chihuahua. He's nothing. And when we empower ourselves under the power of a holy God, 
empowered, ready to, to fight with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, you let the enemy know you picked the wrong fight on the wrong day. I am a child of the Most High God. My victory has already been won in Jesus Christ upon a cross. And this temptation will not take me captive because I am a child of God. And I will fight and fight and fight to the finish because one day I'm going home to be with my God and I want to hear these words from my Father. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into everything that is the Lord's that he's offered to you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. It is on this day that I would ask you, do you know God through Jesus, his son? That whole new creature thing that he does, has he done that for you? Has he reached inside of your sinful existence into your broken mess, into the way you were born, and radically changed you and made you a brand new creature? Has he done that? If he has... I want you to start living sold out to it. Let the world know you're no longer the way you were. You're a new creature. But if you're here and you've never experienced that, I want to encourage you. His grace on the cross is sufficient for you too. His grace offering for salvation to give you new birth, he still extends that to us. And if you're here and you need to receive that, you just simply say, God, I, I've tried to fight this. I've tried to fix this. I've tried to make me right, and I lose every time. God, I want you to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. I want Jesus to come in to be my champion. I want him to radically redesign me from the inside out. I want, I want him to come in and make me a new creature, meaning all old things. Just take away the old the stuff that I hate, the shame, take it away and make me new. Shine your light in me so I can shine your light in this world. Save me today. I ask you, I believe you will, based on the truth and the testimony of your word. Father, I thank you for James, Jesus' half-brother, wrote this incredible small book, jam-packed with stuff that we can just apply. God, help us realize that we all need to be enslaved to you and to your son, Jesus. That's where victory begins. Help us begin to em embrace our trials and troubles as your way of perfecting us and making us more like Christ, your son. And Father, I pray that you will help us be aware of the enemy tactics to understand there's no temptation overtaking us. That's not common to all of us. We're all in this fight together. But God, in all of it, you make a way of escape because you're faithful like that. Help us fight temptation in the spiritual realm. Help us learn how to put on the full armor of God. Help us learn how to wield the sword of, your, of, of, our, of the Spirit, your word, so that we can defeat the enemy at every turn. I thank you for the victory that's already been given. Help us embrace that and walk in that and help other people find it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.